Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. We're going to start off with show notes today. We've got our Evening with Medium events coming up in April, August, and December this year. Tickets are already on sale, almost sold out for April, eh, Karen? Mm -hmm. If you head over to buysarlow.com, you can grab tickets there for any one of the events. Mm -hmm. We've got two extra events this year. One is coming up very soon on March 8th. That is our celebration for International Women's Day. We have been invited to be at the Grand Event Center for International Women's Day, and we're doing an afternoon with mediums from 1.30 till 3.30. It is a free event to the public, but you do have to reserve tickets by calling the Crisis Center. And the second event is coming up all the way down in June. I don't even know if we're even going to get to June. We're so buried in snow right now. <laughs> um, June 7th, we've been invited back to the Sturgeon River House Museum. You can grab tickets by visiting the museum or calling the rec center in Sturgeon Falls. Oh my God, I feel like that's eons away. I know. <laughs> Our second podcast series, Sips of Sanity, which is a 10-minute version of Coffee with the Sarlows, Runs at the website location by sarlo.com only. Can't get that at iTunes. And that is run at the first week of every month, Monday to Friday. So there's five in a series. We pick a topic that helps you grow your emotional intelligence and your spiritual IQ. We have mugs available for sale on that site as well. They're $15 a mug. And if you'd like to buy one, they're only available through us personally at our events or on the website. And last but not least, we have personal sessions and gift certificates available. You can purchase them and receive them from anywhere in the world as the personal sessions are done via Skype, FaceTime, or telephone. And I'd like to just point out that when people ask the question, is it the same? Is it the same level of accuracy? Do you get the same kind of information? Yes, it does not matter to us or to the spirit world where you are physically. So if you're buried in snow like the rest of us, you can stay at home in your own bed. Yeah, how nice is that? You don't have to travel to get here to have one of these sessions. All right, so moving on to today's show. Mm -hmm. I hear you have a beautiful client story, Kelly. I do. Yeah. I'm going to protect her identity. Okay. So she was not a client from in town, and we'll call her Amy. Okay. So Amy has only come once before for a session. She kind of, I'll say, dabbled in all of the different uh, modalities that were available in her first session. Really? Yeah, she was very open and, and yeah. honestly open. And she came back for her second session not too long ago and only had, I think, two questions that she wanted answered. And then the intention was that she was happy to just go anywhere after that. So she started off by asking her first question. She wanted her priority done and out of the way. So we touched on that first. Then her second question was, is my baby happy? Hmm. And I love that question because it's a question that doesn't cross boundaries about their path. It doesn't, it's not controlling. It's not something where anyone's overstepping. She's just asking about the level of happiness and if it's not there, what she can do to aid. Hmm. I think that's really good, Kelly. And I hope people hear that in the sense of that a baby could have physical problems and not be happy and that she's not saying, am I a good mother? Right. She didn't make anything about her, mm -hmm. but left it open that if she could do something that was within her control mm -hmm. that the baby would appreciate, then she was open to hearing it. Mm -hmm. Boy, you talk about a definition of love. 
So she's open to hearing the baby's medical condition as well? Anything. She just said, wide open, is my baby happy? And we didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but the baby just came through to say, um, I am very happy. And he said very specifically, right now I'm being carried around a lot in a front pouch and I'm on my mom a lot, but I'm really looking forward to when the snow melts so I can be in the bush on a back carrier on my dad. <laughs> and she said, yeah, we, we have one and that's the plan that when they go hiking, his dad will carry him, but around the home, he's in a front carrier on his mom. So she walks around the house being busy doing whatever she's doing in a day, carrying the baby in the front? Yes. Kelly, I did that for you and Andrew. Oh, I'm sure many, many parents did. But the funny thing was, is that he said, Mom, look, I mean this with all respect. When we go on our family hikes, I'm safer on Dad's back. (laughs) And she goes, "Mm mm-hmm. Oh, she giggled. And she goes, "Mm mm-hmm, that's totally true. I'm a klutz. And he just said, Mom, you have a tendency to stare at the ground when you're walking, and Dad has a tendency to stare up and have more more perspective. I get that. Yeah. And so he said, I'm just safer on Dad's back. It's not that I prefer one of you over the other, but you're asking about my happiness and my safety. I totally get what she's doing. So she keeps her head down to keep her balance and to watch where she's putting her feet. Yes. He walks sure-footed, I guess, because maybe he doesn't have any issues with balance. Correct. But for his vision or the way that he sees the world and his balance, it's better for him to keep his head up. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And so their baby already knows this difference in mom and dad. Yep. And he said that he feels most connected as a family when they're outside hiking. So she can hardly wait because he'll only be about a year in August. Aww. So he's already a lover of nature. Yes. And she gets to know that about his personality, that he's going to enjoy what her and her husband enjoy as well. Mm -hmm. This won't be torture for him. No. That's lovely. So after we finished that, I, you know, I checked in and said, have we met your needs? Because those are the two priorities, work and baby. And she said, yeah. And actually, I'm really intrigued by past lives. Can we just spend the rest of the time doing that? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And what was really neat is she had probably over 40 minutes left because we kind of hit them really, really quickly, the questions. And so she said, anywhere you want to go with past lives is fine. So we ended up doing a lot of that mixed with psychic because the past lives, as you know, mm-hmm. The messages came through to weave in this lifetime as well, what she was learning, what she was missing. Mm -hmm. So psychic and past lives were the major components of her session. Mm -hmm. I understand that. And how beautifully those go together. So good for her. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of do this as methodically as possible. Well, I see and would like to point out to people that she consented to this and allowed you to listen to the voice recording of the session. Yeah, so she recorded her own because we don't take charge of that. And then I asked her permission if I could do a podcast on this. And she sent me the audio back because, as you know, we don't have a whole lot of memory. Yeah, and I I thought it would be good for people to hear that. So you've been able, with her permission, to hear the session. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed today that you've actually made notes from the session Mm -hmm. so that you have something to refer to to make sure it's accurate. Yeah. Okay. So the guides did come through first and say that they were going to do multiple past lives and that they would go back and forth between then and now. So as you know, that's a lot for us to to decipher which Mm -hmm. lifetime we're in. 
and then checking in with her to make sure that the qualities and characteristics are still accurate. Mm -hmm. So the first lifetime, the, the very first message that came through was that she currently does not do well in the sun. And she laughed and said that was absolutely accurate. She's very pale. She does not tan. She burns and goes back mm. to white. And so they said this was because of her DNA from lifetime to lifetime. It's never adapted to being in the sun. Oh. And the habitats that she has been in mm -hmm. weren't touched a lot by sun. Oh, I get it. So that might mean, for example, Kelly, that she lived more in northern hemispheres. Potentially. Than, than southern. Potentially. When they said habitats, they actually started referring to the buildings that she was in oh, and okay. how in this particular lifetime, she didn't see outside a lot. Oh, so she could also live in a southern location, but her job and her lifestyle would was mean so that indoors. she was indoors all the time. Yep. Okay. So what came through in this one is that she does okay in heat, but she does well in dry heat, not wet. Oh. And in this life, she was a nurse. And that she has taken the career as a nurse throughout many lifetimes. In this one in particular, though, she uh, was actually in the trenches. And I didn't, I didn't know this was a thing in the war. So she was a nurse in war times. And not just in a medical center or a place or a tent deemed for medical purposes. No, she's on the field. She's literally in the trenches. And she was showing me her feet and how they were almost as bad as soldiers because you of where she had to stand. And you mean she was showing you her feet psychically. Yes. Meaning that the client is Amy is not showing you her feet. Right. I just want everyone to understand with clarity what's happening in that treatment room. So her spirit is showing you spirit feet saying that they suffered. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And what was really neat is that they said in this current lifetime, she has the science brain. She still has the brain of someone who likes chemistry, biology, can work through chemical reactions. Um, she, she has a knack for the sciences. And she said that was absolutely correct. Now, in this lifetime, though, she has a complete aversion to war. She can't even hear the word without wanting to recoil. Oh. Yeah, because it triggers so much trauma. So she said that in this lifetime, because of her aversion to war, she chose to go into a war with just words. She went into law. Oh. Oh, she upped her game. Yes. She didn't <laughs> want to fight with weapons. She yeah. just wanted to be able to fight with words. And actually, conflict made her recoil as well. So she was still trying to challenge herself. Okay. In the sense of being outside of a comfort zone mm -hmm. and learning and growing, but she didn't want to be triggered into more trauma in war scenes. Hmm. So they said that some of the qualities that she had brought from those lifetimes as a nurse in the war times into this one was that she still operates very efficiently and methodically. Mm. That's the way her brain likes to think. And that, yes, she's still equipped for the sciences. Um, but what ended up happening in these lifetimes is that the recurring thought and belief was that she was never doing enough. Oh, you mean that started as a nurse that she was never doing enough? Yes. Jeez, the people could really resonate with that in that career. Yes. So no matter how good of a job she did, no matter how much she did during a waking shift, I'll call it, yeah. she never felt like it was enough. And so the reason that she decided in this lifetime that she was not going to go into the sciences, not go into medicine, was because she needed something finite. She needed to know that the job got done 
and that she did the very most she could. And so in this lifetime with her degree in law, Mm -hmm. cases close, Mm -hmm. files get reported and filed, Mm -hmm. and she can kind of wipe her hands clean and say, I did everything I could. I can understand then in law how when that case is finished, whether I'll say whether she's one or not one, because I don't know if in all types of law you win or lose things, she would be able to feel that completion and that satisfaction and the self-esteem, the self-worth. That when you're done something, whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter. You did your best and you're done it. Yes. And actually, mm. she she said to me, she, she lets me speak. She's very, very respectful as a client. And then she said, Kelly, can I affirm something for you? I actually volunteered in an ER. I wanted to go through and be a doctor in this lifetime. And in one moment of her volunteering, she was standing in the ER and she went, nope, I can't do it. Oh, good. And I said, yes, we had a little moment of celebration because that was her paying attention to a very highly intuitive moment where her soul said, no, I need to break this pattern so I can set new ones. Mm -hmm. What a lovely affirmation for her Mm -hmm. to sit there in that room with you and hear that she had done it in a past life and didn't have to do it again in this one. Her soul said, oh, you know, let's try something different. Let's shake things up a little here. Yeah. And she gets that beautiful affirmation that that moment um, was seen. Yeah. And also was not a moment of giving up. Mm-hmm. It was a moment of moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because what the guides actually said is that in that moment, she chose to actually stay on her soul path or to her soul contract. Right. When she said no. Instead of replaying an old contract. Oh, how beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the guides also mentioned that because she chose to stay on her contract in this lifetime, she could now actually begin to heal from those traumas instead of re-experiencing them and triggering them over and over again. Wow, that's a whole other level of PTSD. Yes, because even if she didn't go into into war or into military in this lifetime, being in an ER or in a hospital or a clinic still would have triggered that feeling of, I'm never doing enough. Wow. Like, that's just mind-blowing. That's just so much self-love to be able to sit there and say in that moment, no, this isn't for me. And like you said, it's not a moment of failure, because so many people think it is a moment of failure. Yes, and that theme is going to kind of be played out in the other lifetimes that we're going to talk about. Right, okay. So the other cool component to this lifetime was that she said that currently she had no sense of patriotism. And pardon me, this was her soul being channeled. She didn't say this to me in the room. And she said, yeah, that's correct. I I don't have a sense of patriotism. And I said, it's because from those previous lifetimes, when you went into the nursing or the science field, it was always so intricately woven into patriotism that no matter where you practiced, you had to identify yourself as a Canadian doctor, a Scandinavian doctor. Oh, I see. Because if you're a Canadian doctor, you wouldn't be helping people survive or live or keep their lives if they were of another nationality you're fighting against? Um, not necessarily true. That part didn't come through. Okay. But that wherever she would go to work, she had to identify with her own country. Hmm. She had to express to other people what country she, she was aligned with or belonged to. Okay. Or what their practices were. Oh, that's very interesting. 
And so in this lifetime, she decides I'm not doing war because in war, it taught me there really were no countries. These boundaries that we kept talking about really didn't exist. It was just people fighting for a flag. I stopped myself from swearing there. It was just fighting for a flag. And she found this deeply confusing. Oh, okay. And so one of the things that she was working through in this lifetime was to not get triggered with rage by national anthems. So if the hockey game is on in her house and the two anthems are being played, she has now got to a place of, instead of feeling rage, she feels indifference. Or she can think to herself, okay, this is the time I get up and I get myself tea. Oh, wow. So that's helping her understand a feeling that she has that otherwise really might not make sense to her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So instead of feeling confused by it and mm-hmm. needing to sit there and fixate and then get angry about wars that really were over flags, she can just think, oh, I'm making tea and then I'll watch the game. So I'll kind of press pause on some of the beliefs that we heard in this lifetime, and they'll come back up in the next one. Mm -hmm. So moving into the second lifetime, I thought this was one of the most fascinating ones. And I know it's not our job to have an opinion, but you know, and just Mm -hmm. the messages are so beautiful. Okay, so in this lifetime, we shifted into a more kind of tribal village. And she was showing me that she was quite a young girl in this lifetime, and she died young as well. And she was someone who assisted her mom with herbs and plants, so crushing them, administering them to the village. And it was actually her mom that was the big deal. But she had such admiration and awe for her mom that this this is who she wanted to be. Okay, so she felt her own status within the village because of her mom. Her purpose came from wanting to be her. Yeah, yeah. Which was just beautiful to feel her pride and her sense of purpose. Again, scientific. Again, Mm -hmm. very much medical field, Mm -hmm. but more along the lines of like botany. Well, yeah, but that's what you can do when you're in a tribe. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so again, very familiar um, and very fun for her. Very natural. So she shows me in this lifetime that she doesn't live long and that she dies from a disease-based death and it's skin-related. So she shows me as she's crushing these herbs and plants that she treats herself, that her mom treats her, um, but the village does too. So mm. she, on her good days, she calls them, she works with her mom and she serves her community. Mm-hmm. On her bad days, she receives. Oh. And I thought that was really, really beautiful. So... Wow, Kelly, what a message for us to hear. Mm-hmm, because community was so huge. Well, and, and, the, and, the, and we are responsible as community to take care of the people who care for us. Yes. And this, this was something that was beautiful. This lifetime happened very quickly in her session, but the messages were, were quite clear. She had selflessness. And it was a beautiful quality because it was balanced so deeply with being able to receive. Right. And I said to her, Amy, is it true that you took the selflessness into this current lifetime, but you forgot how to receive? Mm. And she went, oh, shit, that's true. And so selflessness does not become a good quality when you can't also receive. That's critical. It becomes detrimental. Yeah, you're imbalanced then. 
And so this community comes forward as I'm witnessing her past life to say, we mourned her. She mattered to us because she gave back so much to us. But when she was not well, she gave our whole community a sense of purpose to come together and care for her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think we've forgotten that sometimes. And I don't want to speak for everybody because some people would say, no, no, I'm good at that. But I think it's something to think about this morning. Mm-hmm. And and the, her soul came through a couple times to say to her, because I don't think she heard it the first time, that in this lifetime, she was missing out in, in not receiving. She was missing out on offering other people the opportunity to feel purpose themselves. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, I never, I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. And so when you're already a deeply grateful person and you receive from someone, you can easily say the words, thank you, and someone feels valued. And the the bottom line is that everyone has something to offer us in this world. And if we don't choose to receive from them, we're cutting off their opportunity for purpose Mm -hmm. and to feel worth. Mm. I can think of some people when you say that, Kelly. Yeah. And again, this was a lifetime where she never felt like she did enough, but also in this lifetime that she never felt that she had enough time to do enough. Mm. So the job was not done. Now, she passes before her mom. She dies young. And I thought this was beautiful. I was watching her, Amy, this young, young Amy in a different lifetime, watch her mother braid her hair for her funeral. So get... Do you understand? Oh, yeah. She's died. She's a soul. Mm -hmm. But she's standing watching her mom braid her body's hair for Mm -hmm. the funeral. Right. And she could feel her mom braiding it, Mm -hmm. which I just thought was incredible. Mm -hmm. So she watches her mom do this and she feels sad because she never got the chance to grow up and be her. Mm -hmm. And so yet again, feelings of not being complete. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet they described her death as beautiful because she was able to receive. Mm-hmm. So what ended up coming through about the underlying belief system in this lifetime is that a mother was supposed to be your best friend. And how that ended up playing out in this lifetime was quite painful because her mom in this previous life was driven. She was someone that the daughter idolized. She had direction and purpose. She had value in the community because of what she chose to give. And in this lifetime, they said, your mom does not have an idol. She doesn't have drive. She doesn't know what her purpose is or who she wants to be. And she said, yes, that, that's correct. Mm-hmm. And so because her mom struggles deeply with this, she doesn't know who she wants to be, especially when no one is around. And I really liked that comment because they said that when family was around her friends, she could insert herself into their lives and make herself feel purpose. She convinced herself she was needed to the point where if she inserted herself into someone's life to help and give to them and she wasn't overly appreciated, she'd bully them. Mm. So she made up her purpose and then got angry at people for not appreciating her. All because she didn't know on her own level what she wanted for herself. Huge hit pause. Yes. Somebody has to hear that whether it is you that needs to hear it listening or whether that's someone in your family and you just couldn't put your finger on why they were actually that big of a bully. 
Okay. And so they said your mom gets under your skin in this lifetime for the very purpose that she doesn't have drive. But you, Amy, carried it from lifetime to lifetime innately. And so there's a really deep feeling of just fundamentally not being able to connect with her mom. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't put her finger on why, like you say, but it's because her drive is so innate. She can't identify with her mom. Wow. And so the message was that in this lifetime, she really needed to be able to challenge the belief system that a mother is supposed to be your best friend. Mm. Because if she can't fundamentally connect with her, then that's no longer a belief system that's serving her well. It keeps her sad and it keeps her angry. Oh, I like how you guys have identified that for her. Yes. To say, here's one of the reasons why you're sad. You're stuck in one of your own core beliefs. Mm -hmm. And once you know what your belief is, because so often we don't even know what our core beliefs are, then you can change them into a healthy one. Yeah. And I know this is a message we've talked about many times before, but what came through is that if now she understands what her mom's natural limitations are in this lifetime, then she can understand that for however many years her mother lives and never seeks to have her own muse, her own idol, or her own drive, it's not because of Amy. It's not her mom saying, you are not enough for me to want to be inspired. This is my limitation. It has nothing to do with anyone. Well, it's her own soul's contract that she's not fulfilling. Yes. And so the mom, Amy, can just choose to have many mothers. And a best friend can nurture her and be a great mom and a best friend, which can in some way play out the best version of her belief system. Right. I get it. It's a big one to get because it frees you from your sadness. It frees you from anger and frustration, confusion, animosity, bewilderment, and that little mouse that just keeps running around on that um, wheel trying to figure it out. So you have to step outside and off that wheel to know that about that person. And then you can be okay. You don't ever have to get back on that wheel again. So the next lifetime that came through was actually her son's. And he said, well, I want to talk about me. She asked about me in the beginning, and now I'm back. And I'm not going to share that one. It it has more to do with just her son. I want to be able to weave her lifetimes together. But I do want to highlight that her less than one-year-old human son did come through to talk about his past lives. Mm. And there was great value as a mother for her to know what's coming for his his qualities and characteristics and how she can be a great mother. Mm Mm-hmm. So this was almost an in-between lifetime because she talked about her birthing process. So in womb and then birthing. And she was talking about the fact that, her soul I mean, saying I was born late to this life as Amy. And she said, oh yeah, that's correct. And I said, you heard in womb, the baby's late, I'm overdue, she's late. And so it was a belief system that she internalized in this life that I am late. And it has been a constant struggle for her right into her young womanhood right now that no matter how early she shows up to something, no matter how prepared she is, she feels late. Does that move into and become part of her career too then? Does it affect if she's totally ready as a lawyer for something she still feels yes unprepared or... 
So, and I'm going to get to that because what she was saying is as I'm seeing her sitting in the womb ready to come out the birthing canal, she's talking about the fact that, and she's kind of saying it in a very distressed voice of, no, no, I'm not late. I'm not prepared. Oh, I'm just, I'm getting prepared and and I'll be there in three days, but (laughs) I'm doing my work because it's something she values is being prepared. And so wait a second. I really like this because she's hearing the humans say she's late. But she's saying in her own spirit as the baby, I'm not late. Yeah. And she makes fun of the concept of a due date. And she says, that's a total human construct. I'm not fucking late. (laughs) I'm still getting prepared. Right. That's really cute. (laughs) And it's still true of her personality. Okay. So she's, she's frantically saying these comments. And then... She says, it's still true of my personality that I cannot be rushed to make a decision. No one can rush me or convince me to make a decision when I am not ready. Wow. To the point that she is very respectful that if a decision needs to get made, she'll let others around her do it and get it done. But she will vocalize and say, this was not mine. I was not ready. You go ahead and carry on without me, but I want it known that I did not have a part in this. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. I like it that she uses her voice and that she doesn't let the time stealers, you know, anybody listening, how much we talk about time stealers, have control over her. Well, on a conscious level. Now, Mm -hmm. on a subconscious level, it's still affecting her because Mm -hmm. she's saying that no matter how early she shows up to something, she does still feel late or that she's in a constant mode of catching up. Mm. And so it was really funny because they were saying that you need to stop overcompensating for your birth and that when you show up early to a meeting or you show up on time even, (laughs) you might actually have to stand in front of the building and say, I have arrived early. Here I am. So that her brain can hear over and over again, I have arrived instead of you're late. Oh, so she's got to rewire the the thoughts in yes. the mind so that it's more accurate instead of seen through a false lens. A false lens that perpetuates a feeling of being at fault. Right. Because she was saying that it's affecting her to the point that she can show up on time for a scheduled meeting or early. She gets into the meeting itself. And even in that moment, if people are brainstorming new ideas and someone throws out a brand new concept, her panic button goes to, oh my God, I'm not prepared for that. This is my fault. Oh, And if she says, right. oh no, no, I'm not pre- prepared for this. And the whole team goes, yeah, us either. We're brainstorming right now. Right. She still can't get into the mode of, we're just putting ideas on the table. She feels at fault that she didn't anticipate it. Okay. And so they told her, Go back to the best part of your brain from lifetime to lifetime, which was scientific method and switch that piece of your brain that says I'm late or I'm not prepared and go into I'm gathering information. Right. She's skipping process. Yes. Which process has been her strength from lifetime to lifetime, gathering the information as a nurse or a doctor, gathering the information and, and administering the herbs go back to just processing what information is coming at you so that you can feel comfortable and confident making a decision. Very nice. So lifetimes are giving her tools. Yes. Showing her strengths where she's struggling currently. Yes. And that she has it within herself to access that. Yes. Lovely. Yeah. And I just thought, 
it's it, they're great tools too because it's a feeling of also finite. I can show up to a meeting and know that there are going to be new ideas and I can combat the idea of lateness, but I can also combat the feeling of never feeling like I did enough and think, even if I can't verbally contribute to this meeting, I can be a good reflector. I can come back and reapproach and feel that I have done enough. Sometimes enough is being a good listener. Yes. For other people, holding the energy can be good enough. Mm-hmm. We don't always value that in a group because we think everybody has to speak or have the ideas and not understand that there's someone there that's holding the energy and doing a great job. Yeah. Or how about the person who doesn't contribute to ideas, but says, those are great ideas. I'm going to put that document together. Mm -hmm. That is doing enough. That is doing your part of the job, your part of the contribution. I like it because you're talking about being able to see something like a business meeting in this situation from all of the different vantage points of what we need in, yes, a, in a group. Exactly. Instead of thinking there's just one job for the group to do. And yet in those lifetimes as a nurse slash doctor, she was triage surgeon yeah, follow up. Got it. And so the feeling of never being or doing enough never ends because what did I miss in step one? What did I miss in step two? Right. They died. Right. There, There's so many different out, possible outcomes, let's yeah. say, where she can second guess herself. Whereas in this lifetime, there's that feeling of being finite. The really cool thing about this lifetime is that she has stepped out of that patriotism. She's stepped out of that war mentality. And she's in a career for law that fights for human rights instead oh. of divided countries. Oh. And so there's a feeling of enough by stepping up for people's rights, stepping up and being someone's voice. That is enough. Well done. Yes. Even if she doesn't win cases, mm -hmm. she has still done enough. Mm -hmm. And this time it's not life and death. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank God she's picked that career yeah. in, in this life. That's beautiful. And it's really cool. And this is going to kind of end on a really, really funny note is that as we know, you can't totally confirm past lives, right? Mm -hmm. So all throughout, you're giving information from the past and you're trying to confirm current qualities, current situations and saying, if I'm accurate about this in this lifetime, the past life information is accurate as well. The very end of the session, if she was questioning anything at all, her little less than one-year-old son comes through and says, mom, it's time for new underwear. And she burst into laughter and she was like Kelly I literally was thinking about buying new underwear this morning and I just figured no I we need other things I I can't prioritize this right now and her son came through at the very end of her session to say yes you do buy it <laughs> she's like okay that's all I needed that's a great affirmation mm -hmm. and fun lighthearted. yes but shows connectivity that her son is present for her yeah lots of love yeah and like just for me, as the channeler, so much ease, so much ease that she was willing to hear from her own soul about what the struggles have been, but also what her best strengths are so that she can be reminded of them in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Beautiful job. Thank you. Both of you and the spirit world. That, that was amazing. Yeah, it was a really, really fun hour. Kelly, are you finding more people are coming in and asking you to do past lives than a few years ago? 
Um, certainly more, but I don't, I don't think enough. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I just think that maybe people just have so many current priorities that they don't necessarily understand the value of what past lives can do for their current situation. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not enough, but yes, there has been a slight increase for sure. Mm -hmm. I guess it's, it's important for people to hear the value of why you would want to hear about them. Yeah. And how they actually impact the current life that you're in. Yeah, because if you think about the cliched saying of someone coming by equality, honestly, that's a very comforting statement because what you hear is not your fault. Mm. It's something that you were conditioned into, you observed, and you assimilated that because of your environment. And so to understand where any good or bad, positive or negative quality is something that you come by honestly from a past life, then again, you don't feel crazy you don't feel at fault. You understand why. And then I think it's easier at that point to be gentle with yourself in breaking a pattern mm-hmm. or strengthening one. And, and having a desire to change yeah. who you are instead of focusing on, let's see if I can change this person that I'm with. Yes. But instead coming in and saying, what is it about me? Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And that's the good kind of control that we talk about. Yes. Is what what can I do for myself to be a better version? Well, and that's what we talk about when we say trying to, to know who we are or to say things like, how do I ground myself? I say to people, if you don't know who you are deeply, you can't ground yourself. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're repeating a talk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Amy is learning. Ah, good. And in hearing who she's been and how it's contributed to who she is, she'll be better, better suited in this lifetime, no matter how much anxiety she might have to know how to ground herself. Lovely. Love your story. Mm -hmm. She can just sit in the best parts of herself now. Mm -hmm. And what a cool way to know that you're that connected to your spouse, your career and your child. Yeah, and that she's got this beautiful soul mother on the other side as well, with as much drive and spirit as she has here. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll allow her to love her current mother without the attachment of expectation. Yeah. And just allow her mother to be who she is, as you said earlier, and have other mothers mother her. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Otherwise, have an excellent weekend.